Amen. Now it's worth uh, turning uh, to Hebrews 13, which is page 1211 of the Church Bibles, and also hopefully inside your service sheets is a yellow, uh, kind of yellow, uh, outline uh, of where we're going tonight as we look at this question how to live a fearless life. How to live a fearless life. Let me ask you, as, as you find that outline and find the passage, what is it that you are afraid of in life? Those, uh, those little silly fears that, that get us, that uh, are irrational, uh, but we can't get out of our head, whether it be a fear of flying, a fear of chocolate perhaps, uh, fear of uh, spiders, uh, fear of snakes, quite common in Australia. For me it's a fear of heights. And no matter how many times I tell myself that uh, it's an irrational fear, usually when I'm around heights, uh, it's quite safe. I've, uh, I've abseiled, I've canyoned into caves, all sorts of things. But uh, any time I'm in that situation, that fear comes rushing up. And uh, it hit me again yesterday. I uh, went to the Chatsworth Country Fair uh, with my family. And there we were. And I said to Finn, I said, you can go on one ride. You've got to choose just one ride to go on. And so there he was and he chose uh, what was called the Helter Skelter. Now I've never been on a Helter Skelter before but essentially what it was was a very, very, very rickety looking uh, construction uh, with a slide that sort of wound its way down it. And uh, he said, "Uh, Dad, I'm a bit scared of this so uh, you've got to go on with me. I thought, great. And so uh, up we went. We had to climb in the inside of this thing to get to the top and there was a big queue so it was quite slow and there I am sort of wobbling around like this and uh, Finn's got this big grin saying everything's okay because Dad's here, I'm safe and I'm thinking he has no idea. (laughs) And uh, we got to the top and I'm just closing my eyes behind him as we go down this thing, ridiculous fear really as uh, you know, four-year-old children all around me are flying down with no fear whatsoever. What are you afraid of? And not just the the little silly fears that that get our heart racing but, but the big ones the more subtle ones that don't so much get the heart racing but do weigh on us constantly over time, weighing on our minds and our hearts, the sort of fears that shape our thoughts and our behaviour. There's lots of fears like that, aren't there? Whether it be uh, a fear of loneliness, a fear of being hurt by others, a fear of ill health, that bad report, a fear of failure, or even worse, the fear of having no way back from failure. A fear of uh, not getting to that point in life where you're content, where you have what you think you need, to feel like you're never going to arrive, you're never going to get there. Or perhaps it's the fear of living small, of never doing anything significant, never doing anything that someone else would be proud of. Fear of being a follower always rather than a leader. And then there's the fears that that, uh, many Christians have. The fears of the costs that come with being a Christian. The the fears of the consequences of going God's way in some part of my life. The fear of missing out. of, Of being hemmed in, of being limited by being a Christian. Or that fear that perhaps you might be on the wrong track. That maybe it's not true. The fear that you're wasting your life, that you've thrown too much into this one cause and it might not be worth it. Or perhaps that fear that you've made too much of Jesus. That he started as just some 
carpenter from Nazareth and now he's become to you Lord and King. Maybe I've made too much of him. Well, let me say, if you're a Christian, that none of these fears or any others that you could possibly have in your mind, none of them, not one, should weigh you down. The Christian life is a fearless life, completely fearless. Let me explain why. One simple word makes it a fearless life, a word that changes everything about the way we live. One word, and you would have heard it at Christmas over and over again, you would have sung it in Christmas carols, that word, Emmanuel. Of all the the names that the Bible gives to Jesus, this is my out-and-out favourite, Emmanuel. It means God with us. Why is the Christian life a fearless life? It's because of Jesus. Because he's Emmanuel, God with us. And that's meant to change everything. Tonight as we come to Hebrews 13, we come to the end of one of the longest letters in the New Testament. Twelve chapters come before what we just heard read out to us. Twelve chapters outlining why Jesus makes this much difference. Why we have nothing to fear because of him. And if you read through those 12 chapters, let me encourage you to do that. If you've never read Hebrews, to make that a project for the next month, what you see is again and again why he makes such a big difference. Let me me give you a few of them. Let, Let them wash over you. Jesus is the creator of the ends of the earth. He's the champion of your salvation. He won it through his suffering. He's the one who became flesh and died to free you from the fear of death. He's your high priest who can actually sympathise. He's the one who by his blood made you pure, made you fit for God's service, made it possible for you to actually please God. He's the one who started your faith and he will bring it to the finish line. He is the one who has made all enemies his footstool. And in the passage that we have before us tonight, he is the one who will never leave you or forsake you. Now, if you see that one clearly, you see that is the one who stands with you uh, as you go through life, whether it be alone, whether it be at school, at home, as you head off to university perhaps for the first time, that is the one who stands with you. And when you see that, you are very bold because you have nothing to fear. And then we join uh, the writer of the Hebrew to, to the Hebrews, uh, as he says in verse 6, do you see it there? When, when he realises who Jesus is, do you see his conclusion? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? It's an amazing verse. I love it. It says if God is for us, if Jesus is for us, then the Christian life is a fearless life. It's a confident life, a life of strong trust and big, big courage. If God is for me, then no man determines my future. Only God can do that. What can man do that I would fear? Well, if you know anything about Hebrews, you'll you'll realise the previous two chapters, chapters 11 and 12, have a catalogue of things that man can do to Christians. You've got stories of Christians being tortured, being mocked, being sawn in two. And here comes this conclusion, what can man do to me? Well, the Christian who sees who he has become through Jesus sees the fact that God is with him and says, despite all that, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What does it actually mean, though, to live a fearless life as a Christian? What would a life like that look like as you, as you enter the world tomorrow? 
Well, tonight, as we come to Hebrews 13, we come to really, I think, a battle cry for Christians who trust Jesus to live this way. To live, as we saw all week on the house party, this slogan that we had for ourselves, to live like it matters, this is the final piece. It means to live fearlessly with Jesus. And what we have here in this chapter is six ways that you're meant to do that. Six ways a Christian is to live fearlessly and we're going to look at them together. It's on the other side of your outline. If you want to live fearlessly as a Christian, these are six of the things you will need to do. The first one you see in in verses 1 to 5, to live fearlessly is to be a lover. The Bible says that the most courageous thing you can do in a world like ours is to love. And the author gives us five different things that a Christian loves. And the first of those uh, should be obvious to us, but we easily forget it. We are to love the brother or sister in Christ. That's our first port of call when it comes to love. Love those with whom we share the bond of Jesus. They're, They're our family. And to love them without fear of hurt. And let me say, if you want to know whether you are genuine in your trust of Jesus, then ask yourself, do you love those around you? Not just the ones you get on with, not just the ones who are on your wavelength, who, who, who know what life is like for you, but do you love all of those around you? The Bible says that if you want to make a clear and decisive statement to this world that Jesus matters, then love each other. And the Bible also tells us that we live in a world where love grows cold. It's unnatural to love each other like this. And so we are to spur each other on. We are to meet together as we're doing tonight. We are to realign the way way we think about meeting as we do tonight and as we meet in small groups and things like that. You don't come to church anymore as a consumer thinking, what am I going to get out of tonight? You come as a lover. You don't even come as a job doer. I'm, I'm the guy who plays the piano. I'm the guy who makes the coffee. I'm the guy who hands out the service sheets. No, you come as a brother or sister in Christ. To live fearlessly is to love the brother or sister. And secondly, you see in uh, verse 2, to live fearlessly is to love the stranger. And speaking here about hospitality, in in the original context it was all about providing accommodation and food for travelling Christians, safe havens as they tried to preach Christ all throughout the world. And so comes the call, don't forget to show love to the stranger to open up your home, your possessions, your your very lives to those you don't even know. You know, when the Bible talks about these sort of things, it it shows us how important it is. It's not not a sort of, this might be a good idea. If you're hospitable, if if you're that way inclined, you like to cook for people and have them over, then this is your thing. No, it's a command. Romans 12 says, practice hospitality. 1 Peter says, offer it without grumbling. And 1 Timothy 3 says, leaders especially. To love the stranger is to love without fear of losing out by doing it. But we don't lose out, do we? You have this odd fringe benefit that the verse speaks about, that even you might be entertaining angels as you do it. There's more than that, isn't it? Life is about serving others, and this is what we're being called to here in this verse, sharing our lives with people, knowing the difference between having someone standing in your lobby and having them stand with you in your kitchen to be hospitable. To have those great moments where somebody comes into your home 
and you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them and not just an unbeliever but to rejoice in the gospel together with other Christians. To not leave a service like this and think, great, I've got my little boost of the gospel and off I go into the week, but rejoicing together. That's to love the stranger. Verse 3, we're told of another thing we are to love, the love the prisoner. Love without fear of the loss of reputation or the repercussions that would come with this. Now we look at this and it seems odd to us, especially in the Western world, you know, rich suburban United Kingdom. It doesn't make sense to us. But for the early church, this was the lifeblood of the growth of the church and they were great at it. Lucian, a satirical writer in the first century, by, by no means a Christian, wrote of this habit that Christians had of loving prisoners, loving those who were arrested for preaching Jesus. He said this, trying to mock it. They left nothing undone in their effort to rescue him. And then as this was impossible, every other form of attention was shown to him. And not in any casual way, but with assiduity. And from the very break of day, aged widows and orphaned children could be seen waiting near the prison. Elaborate meals were brought in and their sacred book was read aloud. What a witness. I mean, even mocking it sounds impressive, doesn't it? This is fearless living. And do you see in verse 3, our love for the prisoner is not to be mechanical. We're to empathise, we're to put ourselves in their situation. And so let me ask you, uh, those of you who are regular at uh, our church family prayer meeting once a month, you'll realise that on the back usually of our our prayer notes you see the persecuted church there and uh, to my shame we didn't get a chance to pray for the persecuted church on Wednesday. But let me ask you, do you do that? Do you pray for them? Do you have a heart for the persecuted church? Well, let's keep going with our list. Two more things that we are called to love. Verse 4. We had a love sexual purity. The call in this verse, I think, is very clear. Marriage is to be honoured. Literally, it says, let it be precious. Let it be a treasure. That's what it is. In our world, uh, marriage is often discarded as a sort of a throwaway thing. We need to redeem it. It is a great gift from God. And for me, the amazing thing about this verse is what it does with with marriage and sex, it just completely binds them together. When it tries to use the word sex, it doesn't use it, it just calls it the marriage bed. The Bible doesn't know any other place for sex other than that. And that's radical stuff, both then and now. Ours is a generation of recreational sex. To live fearlessly is to love the preciousness and the purity of the marriage bed and to have no fear that if you do, you're missing out. And let me say, just as an aside, this word pure that the Bible means, when it it comes to sexuality, it doesn't mean seeing how close you can go before you go too far. It's not the image of someone on a tightrope carefully balancing things. When the Bible speaks of sexual immorality, it says flee. Christians are called to be radically pure when it comes to sex, to be a source of wonder and derision amongst our friends, but a source of glory and pleasure to our God who stands with us. And finally, we are to love contentment. You see it there in verse 5? Two things are on view in this verse, a love of money and a love of contentment. The Christian way, the fearless way, is to love contentment. 
To love it knowing that wealth is deceitful. To know that it's a lover competing for your affections. It's an idol wanting you to worship it. And the lives of many in our world are in a constant fear when it comes to money, when it comes to material things, that they will never have enough. And it's hard not to feel that fear. Especially at the moment, I, I, I was watching television yesterday and there in the BBC is the treasurer of this country saying we are in a 60-year low in the economy and it's only going to get worse. Alarm bells going off all over the place and realistic alarm bells. How do you not feel afraid at a time like that? Well, what's God's answer to that fear? Do you see it in verse 6? God is with us. He is our treasure. And there is no situation where he will leave us, nor any reason why he would leave us. He's completely reliable. He's worth the investment. And it's armed with that knowledge that that a Christian is able to say, as, as the Apostle Paul does, even if I have nothing, I possess everything. My cup is full. Credit crunch, you're kidding. God is with us. There's the first one, and probably our longest one. To live fearlessly is to be a lover. Do you see the second one in verses 7 and 8? To live fearlessly is to be a follower. I love this one. The wisdom of our world is that the great ones are the ones who break new paths, who go where no one's gone before. The great ones lead, the rest follow. But that's not the case with us. To be fearless is to be prepared to follow. So verse 7 says, follow your leaders. Follow those who speak the word of God to you. So let me say to the youth here who are on the house party, let me say that that means following your small group leader, following people like Gareth and Joe and Katie and Simon and all of those who are there with you on the house party, follow them. Who's your role model? I remember growing up uh, through the youth group, I, I... I had a a Bible study leader leader called Ken who who led us from year 7 all the way through to year 12. Week after week we sat in the end room of his house, giant bowls of popcorn, the Bible open, six years. Three quarters of that group are in some sort of full-time ministry somewhere in the world. I put that down to him. I put that down to God working through him. Let me say, follow your leaders. Follow those who have put their trust fully in Jesus See the life that's come from that and follow it step by step. And as you do, realise what they are doing. You see it there in verse 8, they're following the real leader. They're following Jesus, the one who is the same yesterday, today and forever. To be a fearless Christian is to be a follower. Thirdly, to, to live fearlessly as a Christian is to be immovable. Do you see it there in verses 9 and 10. If Jesus never changes, if he is who he is always, yesterday, today, forever, then a Christian should refuse to move away from him. And so we're warned in verse 9 not to be swept away by all kinds of strange teaching or more literally many coloured teaching. And that's what gets us, isn't it? It's colourful, it's different, it's unique. Not this bland grey that I usually get. This is colourful, this is new. The fear here, of course, is that we haven't heard the full truth, that that we've missed something, that there's more to be said. And for them it was about food laws, but for us it can be about all sorts of things. 
Let me say that any teaching that is foreign to Jesus usually has one of two things behind it. It's either about self-importance, about us convincing ourselves that we don't need Jesus that much and that's where you get this works-based salvation from, that I can do something to make God happy. Or the idea that Christ is not that unique, that there's other ways to reach heaven, that there's other ways to be righteous before him. Colourful, different. And I must admit, as I was watching the Lambeth Conference recently, as you see bishops and priests and deacons sitting around in circles talking about the things that we can learn from other religions, I think, gee, this is colourful. But to live fearlessly as a Christian is to be immovable. Instead of being fooled into thinking that we need these things, we are to again and again, you see what we're to do? Feed on the grace of God. For this alone is our strength. And verse 10 tells us how we are to feed on the cross of Christ. That's where our fearlessness comes from. Our job is to plummet steps. And so let me say, if you find yourself somewhere, if you're heading off to uni next year, If you find yourself somewhere where the cross is only given lip service, it's time to run away. We need to have the heart of the poet T.S. Eliot when he said of the gospel, he said, we shall not cease from exploration and at the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know it for the first time. To be fearless as a Christian is to be immovable. And fourth, and this is my favourite, To live fearlessly is to be prepared to lose the battle and win the war. This Jesus whom we are to follow, whom we are not to move away from, do you see the pattern of life that we're following? Hebrews 13, 11 to 13 tells us that the path Jesus trod was one of disgrace and sacrifice of suffering and death. The place that he died was the place only the shameful and the cursed, the lowest of the low, were put outside the gate the garbage pit of Jerusalem, that's where he died. And we're told to go with him. Do you know why he did it? We're told he, he did it to make us clean. Do you love the irony of that? He goes to the garbage pit to make us clean, to set us apart. Set us apart for God, set us apart from the world. He set you apart so that he could turn your values upside down. So that unlike almost any other message you will hear in Western culture, you are told to move outside the gate, outside of comfort, towards need, towards cost. Now that is complete counterculture. You think about how humans operate when they're afraid. What do we do when we're afraid? We move to our comfort, we move to our security. My daughter Jamie is at that point in her life where whenever she's afraid, she sees someone she doesn't know, she races behind me and grabs my leg and sort of hides there and is convinced that she's safe. Well, where do you go when you're afraid? Well, I'll tell you where our world goes. When the relationship breaks down, well, we go to the next one. When we hear of this 60-year crisis in the economy of the credit crunch, we go to our bank balance we check we're okay. We go to the career, the family, the, the value-adding renovations, the nest egg, the health check, and on and on. Well, let me say, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know where to go. You go to him. You hide behind him, Emmanuel. Go to him where he is, outside the city, knowing the disgrace that will come with that, knowing the cost 
That will come with that. Go to him saying, he is my comfort. And if you're asking yourself if it's worth it, have a look at verse 14. You bet it is. When you throw your lot in with Jesus, you are saying, I will not settle for the scraps. This city, our world, is passing away, but God has prepared a new city for those that love him. A city that will never perish, spoil or fade, that no eye has seen, heart conceived or mind grasped. A breathtaking city. Jesus died this pitiful, shameful death because he knew it was worth it. He did it to make you different from the rest of the world, to make you holy and loving and risk-taking, to make you so utterly captivated by that city to come, so completely satisfied and secured in it that when you start to think, what am I meant to be doing here on this earth, you know the answer is to go to him outside the city towards the city that is to come. Fifthly, to live fearlessly is to be passionate. I've got a, a good friend of mine who's a, a Christian singer-songwriter and uh, he's got a song uh, titled This Means Everything or Nothing at All. And it's, it's sort of become a catch cry for, for he and I and a, a group of friends that I grew up with and it really sums up what these verses 15 to 19 are saying. Jesus either means everything to you or he means nothing to you. We need to live like it matters, like he matters. And these verses tell us that he deserves and demands lips from us that praise him. He deserves and demands our hands and feet that will work for good. He deserves and demands our prayers. Let me leave you with one final thing you are to do if you are to live fearlessly as a Christian and this is perhaps the most important. As we come to the end of this letter, a letter to a fledgling church with so much potential but but starting to lose heart. As we come to the end of a letter where, where for 13 chapters the author has writ large about how Jesus makes such a difference. A letter that he's written to steal their nerve to live fearlessly. To live as those who know the Lord is their helper, that they have nothing to fear. But do you know what my greatest fear for us is? That we would underestimate him. Jesus, that is. That we would shrink back just as he's about to work powerfully amongst us. And so to ensure that doesn't happen, the author leaves us with one of the most stirring finishes to a letter ever written. Have a look at verses 20 and 21. Don't underestimate Jesus. He is the one who brings peace. He is the deathless shepherd who died and then rose again to protect you. And you are bound to him by a blood-bought covenant. He has signed it in his own blood. God guarantees you eternity by his son's blood. He is the one who equips you to do his will. He is the one who works in you what is needed to please him and he will give you all the grace you need. And so well might we say with the writer, to him be glory forever. Do not underestimate your king. Live fearlessly, love radically, follow the leader, don't move from the cross, go to him and share his disgrace, do it with passion and watch as he changes the world through you. Let's pray.